Father, tonight we want to believe you and pray for the Word. Holy Spirit, you wrote the Bible. You're the one who's qualified to teach it. I ask you tonight to teach it from my mouth, but more than that, I ask you to teach it in the hearts of the hearers. Lord, we make the declaration that we have hears, ears to hear what the Spirit says. Help us hear. We believe we do hear tonight, and we thank you for it. Thank you for miracles. Thank you for supernatural signs and wonders that we've heard about tonight. Thank you, God, that there are others in this room who need them and that they receive them in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you and we honor you for it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. So let me start this message by asking you this question. How much Jesus do you want? That's how much? You know, when I was a kid, we'd drive up to the gas pump and we'd say, $3 worth, please. I don't know why, but my dad never said fill it up. He always said 2 or $3 worth. You could almost fill it up on 2 or $3 back in those days. But most Christians want to measure how much Jesus they have. Over the years, I've found that, that, that most, most Christians have enough Jesus to bug them and not enough to bless them because they want just enough. You know, when I was young and we'd get gas, and I was buying the gas, I just needed enough to get home and get back to the gas station after I got some money because I didn't have that much money, and so I had, I had to get just enough. Unfortunately, many Christians don't really want to fill it up. You know, we need to be wanting to fill it up and top it off and keep it filled up and keep it topped off. So that's a question we ask ourselves. How much Jesus do I really want? How much? You know, I've seen over years of ministry and, and relationships that the cares of life tend to overcome people's zeal for the things of God. They shouldn't, but they do. Things happen. And, and, and people, just along the way, they, they, they kind of give up. It's kind of like what Peggy said. We've seen, we've asked, for, we've asked for things before, and it didn't happen. And not that any of you have given up or would give up, but that 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 you know they just get tired of enduring and enduring. It seems like, and they give up. Many people I know over the years that that, that Tammy and I got spirit filled with back many many decades ago. Many of them have just kind of dropped out. You know, they just, they, they just, I don't know, they're, they're probably still saved, but, you know, and some of them even still uh, have fellowship with the believers and still are connected, but they just have lost their passion for the things of God. They've just grown lukewarm, and, and no one really seems to be bothered by that because much of the church is the same way just lukewarm and so the, and I know others have just given up on God altogether and 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 they 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 do nothing for the kingdom and they just exist and they're living out their life hoping that one day Jesus will come back and they'll get to go to heaven and expecting that maybe but wanting that to happen instead of having to die to get there but they just got tired along the way Jesus warned us that the cares of this life would choke out the seed of the word of God if we allow those things to enter in. We all face things in life. 
But if those things have blunted our passion, we need to rekindle a fire. And you know what? He's happy to do it. He's happy to come and help you get that fire rekindled if you need it. Because he wants, he wants that passion. Jesus told the church in, 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 of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, 16, that they were neither hot nor cold, but they had grown lukewarm. And we taught this a couple of years ago, maybe, about how they got to that, how, 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 what all that meant about the pipes from the other, other cities, one bringing warm water, one bringing cold water. When it traveled all those miles, it was neither hot nor cold. One was supposed to be cold, one was supposed to be hot. And they were, they were neither. They were lukewarm. And Jesus said, I will spew you out of my mouth because it tastes so bad. The Greek word literally means to throw up. Jesus doesn't like that. He, 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 he told them for the, for the lack of the impact they're making on society that that behavior was not acceptable to him. He, believed, he wanted them to either be what, he wanted them to be what they were supposed to be, either hot or cold. Make a difference is what he was saying. And passion makes a difference, doesn't it? I mean, you can, when you find a Christian that's, that has passion for Jesus, it makes a difference. I'm not talking about just the ones that are crazy. You know, the ones who can't even be normal in a conversation because there are some of those out there. I'm talking about a person that you meet that genuinely loves Jesus, genuinely walks with Him, genuinely has this, this on-fire relationship with Him, and they don't have to say a word, and you can figure it out because of their, just who they are. Because there's just a light about them that, that is different than people that you know. I mean, Jesus told that church in Laodicea, He said, y'all got everything. This is my paraphrase, of course. Because they had money. They had all that they needed, except they had no zeal for the kingdom of God. They were willing to live their lives just with the stuff. They didn't even know that they were dead, but they were. And it's, sadly, there are many people that are just like that. We live in perilous times. I mean, all you got to do is read one page of the news, and you know these are perilous times. But we have been brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. We ought to be excited about where we are, not dreading it, not dreading the fact that, oh no, this one got elected and that one didn't. We need to be excited because we've been brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. Ooh, that's exciting, huh? When you pray and you're seeking God, that ought to be an exciting time for you because you know you're making a difference in the Spirit. We're not begging God to do anything. We're reminding God of His promise. Sometimes we, when we pray and we're talking about all the problems, we're just repeating to God what the devil's doing. We need to talk to God about what He promised us because that's what prayer really is. And we ought to be excited about it. I mean, we ought to just get, be thrilled about it when we figure out, hey, this is His will. This is what he wants, and I'm in agreement with him. Doesn't mean there's not a fight to fight, but it does mean that we ought to be at peace and happy about it. We need to discern the times. What time is it? You know, I think Chicago sang that song years ago. Does anybody really know what time it is? If you're a believer and you study Scripture, you hear from the Spirit, you know what time it is. And we, we should be knowing it, and we should be excited. We should not be complacent or apathetic about what God's doing. Many years I went to uh, Quetzaltenango, Guatemala, and while I was there, 
<clears throat> they opened the very first mall in their town. It wasn't a big mall, it was a little mall, and it was the first two-story building in town that had an elevator. So I'm going to this mall. This was the grand opening weekend. It was packed out. People had never seen an elevator in their lives. Mm -hmm. They had no idea. I mean, in fact, at one point, this lady got on the, this old ugly lady got on the elevator, and she went up, and family was gathered around there, and then the elevator came back down. There was a really pretty girl got out. And the daddy said, son, go get your mother. <laughs> That didn't really happen. That didn't happen. But they were, they were in amazement looking at this elevator because it had glass walls, you know, and it went up. And, I mean, they're all gathered around the elevator, and they would put as many people as possible on that elevator. They're packed in there. If you've ever been in Latin America and see a bus, you know, they pack people in things. And all these people were packed into this elevator, and they were so excited just, just to watch. They were just watching the elevator for hours, just going up and down and up and down and trying to get their turn to get onto it. It was, it was great. They, they had a grocery store in this, in, this, uh, in this mall. It was just a regular grocery store, but they had shopping carts. These people had never seen a shopping cart in their lives. They thought it was to pile all those kids in there, and they had all their kids piled in there. You know, and, 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 and they'd never seen that before. They had never seen packaged meat before. And they thought it was nasty because the meat that they had eaten all their lives was butchered that morning at the market, and that's what they ate. They could not believe that someone would go in there and buy meat that was butchered yesterday or the day before. They couldn't believe it. But these people were in absolute amazement in this mall. You would have thought it was kids going to a circus for the very first time. They just were looking at things and, 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 and amazed at, at the modern stores and all those things. Well, then years later, I went back to Guatemala, and they had another mall, a bigger mall. And I went to that same mall because we had to get something there. But people barely paid attention to the elevator. In fact, they barely went to the old mall because it had become the old mall, and it wasn't new, and it wasn't fancy anymore. I mean, the, the old thing lost its allure. Sadly, I see that happen with Christians. They get spirit-filled, and I mean everything with Jesus is amazing. Woo, I woke up this morning. Glory to God, Jesus woke me up today. I get to live another day for... Do you remember those days? Well, you have more sense in that now because you know that you don't have to... You ought to be excited about every day because we're supposed to rejoice in the day that we live. But, we, but, but people have lost lost their their zeal i mean we used to turn to jesus and pray about everything we prayed all day not all day long but we prayed some all day long thanking god for this and thanking god for that we just had this zeal and and you know we we just we just we just were it was all everything was about jesus didn't wake up one single day in those days thinking oh man i gotta go to work today we got up every morning thinking, oh yeah, that guy at work that's not saved yet, this is his day. And we began, we were thinking that all the time, thinking about those people. We just were absolutely head over heels in love with Jesus. How much Jesus do you want? How much? I don't mean we have to be crying. I met this one guy one time and he couldn't even carry on a conversation because he was just, every time he would start to talk, he would go, blah, 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 and act like he was getting slain in the spirit. Well, I know that's not the way it's supposed to be. I'm not his judge, by the way. But you know what? We ought to be in love with him. But that love ought to be more mature. 
it ought to be more defined. It's okay. It's okay. I, when I got spirit-filled, I remember some older Christians would say, well, you know, that blazing fire is just out of control. We, we, we don't need that. Yes, they still need a blazing fire because you get a blazing fire in a furnace and it heats the whole house. You get a blazing fire in the right house, it does a job that, that, that a tiny little spark won't do. We need to have that fire going on. We need to have it. Amen. We used to we used to pray about everything, but now we have money, so we don't have to pray about everything because we can go to the go to the convenience store and buy a soft drink if we want to. We used to pray. I mean, we used to pray all the time, but now we're too busy to pray all the time. Not we. Some. I mean, you get the when you as you grow older, you get a job and a family and a house and cars and. If we allow them, they'll enter in and choke out the zeal for Jesus. Amen. We must never allow that which is holy to become profane in our eyes. Never. He still is the Jesus that came in the room when you got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because He is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And when you got baptized in the Holy Spirit, Jesus did it Himself. And He dunked you in the Spirit. He's still, that's still who He is. He is still the healer. Still. Always will be. He's still the Savior. He's still the same. We need to love Him. Again, we're more mature in life, more mature in things but we still need to be absolutely in love with Jesus. You know, I remember when I got, when I was in high school, um, I went to this thing, when, it was a Christian thing, one time, and I went with another friend, and we were going to this, because we were going, because these two girls were going, so we went to this thing, it was a thing for, for Jesus there. Well, then I, I met another friend there. He comes around the corner, and <clears throat> his name was Jim, and Jim met me, and he says, he says, Randy, I am so glad to see you. I didn't know you were in love with Jesus. I'm telling you, I am so much in love with Jesus, I just can't believe it. And then he walks away. And I thought, oh, my goodness. <laughs> and Jim was a kid, and he, was, he wasn't a good athlete, so he was the manager for the baseball team and the manager for the football team and the manager for the basketball team and the manager for the track team. So Jim knew every dirty joke in the world. And he would take him, if he heard it in the track department, he'd tell it to the football department. He, I mean, he, he foul mouth. he wasn't in love with Jesus the time before I'd seen him. But something happened to that kid, and I mean, he was absolutely head over heels in love with Jesus. And so we go back to school in the fall, he's still head over heels in love with Jesus. It wasn't like summer camp where you go and get happy for two weeks and it's done. He was still head over heels in love with Jesus. The kid was, we called him Jim the Jesus Freak at that point because he was so much in love with Jesus. And he went to the coach one day, the football coach, and he said, Coach, do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? And the coach said, shut up. And he said, Coach, this is important. If you don't get saved, you're going to hell. And the coach said, you're not a manager anymore. You're going to study hall. And he kicked him out of the athletic department because he didn't want to hear about Jesus. But can I tell you something? We were, we were juniors this year. By the time we graduated from high school, 
everybody in my school knew about Jim and knew about Jesus because he made sure. And he got people spirit-filled everywhere. Started a Bible study in the home ec department. He made a difference because he was in love with Jesus. Now, we don't have to... We don't, we don't have to tell the coach they're going to hell, but we need to, be, we need to be zealous for the things of God, zealous for Him. We can't allow the circumstances of the world to overtake our love for Him and our relationship with Him. We can't spend more time thinking about the party that won the election, the party that lost the election, than we think about Him. We need to be in love with Him. We just need to be in love with Him. That's, that's just what, I'll tell you, that's just in my heart. We've got to fall in love with Jesus another time. Let me read you a passage of Scripture. This is out of Mark chapter 7, beginning of verse 31. It says, Soon after this, Jesus left the region of Tyre and passed through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, through the region of Decapolis, the ten Hellenistic cities. This is from the Amplified Bible. And they brought to him a man who was deaf, and had difficulty speaking, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. Jesus, taking him aside by himself, away from the crowd, put his fingers into the man's ears, and after spitting, he touched the man's tongue with the saliva. And looking up to heaven, he sighed deeply and said to the man, that sigh deeply is an important statement, we'll talk about it later. He said to the man, Ephatha, which in Aramaic means be opened and released. His ears were opened. His tongue was released, and he began speaking plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them, the more they widely continued to proclaim it. They were thoroughly astounded and completely overwhelmed, saying, He has done everything well. Even He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. That is a great passage of Scripture. I mean, I, I really like it. It depicts a real miracle in Jesus' ministry. We ought to be seeing that kind of thing in our lives, in the life of the church, in the life. That ought to be a normal thing. Watchman Nee one time wrote a book called The Normal Christian Life. And that book was way over my head when I read it. But what I remember about it was he talked about the church ought to be, that ought to be normal for the church. Miracles, the supernatural, uh, just walking in the spirit. We ought to be seeing that. We ought to be normal for us. The church, Jesus said that the church will do the things that he did and greater things will we do because he goes to the Father. There ought to be miracles. Something's wrong when, when we're not seeing them. We need to begin to find out, okay, Jesus, I want to love you. I want enough of you so that happens around me and through me and with me, right? Jesus said and did only the things the Father instructed him to do by the Holy Spirit. I mean, he did, he did all the things that he did as a man anointed by the Holy Spirit, according to Acts 10, 38. God anointed him with the Holy Ghost with power. And he didn't need to be anointed if he was, if he was doing it as God because he would already be anointed as a man. God anointed him. All right? Jesus had already been to this region before, this region of Decapolis. Uh, that's where the gathering demoniac was from. And Jesus had already been there. And they all saw it, and they were afraid of Jesus when he was there before, and they asked him not to come back. They kicked him out and asked him to leave. But he comes back, and he was welcomed this time. All right. He had gone with his disciples to get some rest, and then he, met, he, he came in contact with this lady that we call the Syrophoenician woman, who came in. The, he's like on a retreat. The lady comes into the place where he is, and she says, you know what? My daughter has a demon. I want you to cast her out. Cast it out. And Jesus ignored her and ignored her and ignored her. And finally the disciples said, Lord... 
get rid of her. She's driving us nuts. And he looks at the woman and he said, he said, you know, uh, it's not right to feed the dogs the food that the kids get to eat. And she says, even the dog could eat the crumbs from the table. And Jesus said, I've not seen faith like this. Go your way, your daughter as well. Because she just, she said, I'm getting some of that. I, I don't care if it falls off the table, if I have to lick it off the floor, I want that. And so that bread that they were eating was the healing that delivered her daughter. So from there, Jesus comes to this passage we just looked at. Matthew describes the scene when he said, And great multitudes came to him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet. They threw people at his feet, and he healed them, insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, and the maimed to be whole, the lame to walk, and the blind to see, that they glorified the God of Israel. Now this is, this is the Jesus that we need to be knowing and talking about. This is the Jesus that is the answer to all the problems of life. All of them. Right in this, this Jesus. His will, according to what He did in His, in His ministry, is to heal and deliver all. And He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I want us to look at this for just a minute. This story is a literal story. It literally happened, but there are ways we can apply it in lots of ways. It's kind of a picture of the church of the United States. A little bit, well, quite a bit a picture of the church of the United States. It's a picture of many individual Christians' lives. But it, it's this picture, and I, I want us to look at this tonight. The church of the United States has become so intimidated because they've been told by the world that they're not relevant. And so they've tried to change the church to be relevant to the world. Let me say something to you. The message of the scripture is relevant to every age of person, no matter who they are. The church must never change its message ever, but it might need to change its methods. But it, the message must be the same. The message of the gospel, the message of the scripture is no longer um, loved by our nation, no longer loved by society, the cancel culture. The one thing they want to cancel more than anything else is the word of God. They want to cancel Christians. They want, why would they want to do that? It's proven. I mean, you can look at science. You can look at lots of things. It's proven that Christian people are healthier, happier, live longer, and things are better in their lives. But the people in power don't want to lose power. And if we turn to God, they won't be the people we look to anymore. If we turn to the government for our answers, they'll lose power. and They'll lose credibility. And so what they want is for the church to go away so they can keep their place of position. And that's what they want to happen. So it's a picture of something. They brought this man to Jesus, and the scripture says he was deaf. The word deaf, the Greek word is kophos, which means to be dull as of a weapon, a dull weapon, to be blunted or blunted of hearing. It means to make less sensitive or emotional. Here's what it really means. To make not sharp, not pointed. It means to be dull. The man was dull of hearing. In, the, in this critical hour of the church, she has become dull. She is no longer sharp. I'm not talking about a specific church, particular church. I'm talking about overall the church is not making an impact on our society. It's dull. 
afraid to speak up and stand up because they're afraid of what the cancel culture will do to them. And no church, no, no pastor wants to have protesters in front of their church on Sunday morning. And the news media, they're telling the world how, how uh, uh, narrow-minded they are. Or, or what? Or hate, yeah. I mean, they don't want that. But they, the church has become dull. She's no longer sharp. I mean, the church is no longer not not all churches, but overall, the church is no longer sensitive to God. If the Holy Spirit wanted to heal somebody in the middle of the service, how many services? How many churches would let that happen? Not a lot. Not a lot. I remember being in a service. This is when John Osteen was still the pastor of Lake, Lakewood in Houston. Joel was a little kid. And John Osteen had a guest speaker. The guest speaker's name was T.L. Osborne. He had this big old sermon to preach. And all of a sudden, he started to preach this message and he stopped. And he said, wait a minute. Somebody here needs to get out of the wheelchair. And I mean, people were looking around, you know. All of a sudden, Two guys are carrying a wheelchair above them. And the guy in front of them is walking, and he got out of the wheelchair. Now, that changed the whole service. The direction of everything got changed. Why? Because now Jesus is alive. And it was sharp. It was a sharp turn. And so the churches, we've gotten out of that because, because we have to rush them in and rush them out. And I get, I get it. I respect that. But at some point, the Holy Spirit has to do something. The church has allowed that which is holy to become commonplace. And all that does is when the church loses that sensitivity, it gives a place to Satan. <coughs> Just like when I went to the mall in Guatemala the second time, they didn't care anymore about, about that. So what about, what about us? What about our lives? Are we sharp or are we dull? Are we sharp in the things of the Spirit? Or is it just same old, same old every day? Ever seen that movie Groundhog Day? Is that your life? A lot of people, it's the same thing. You know, a lot of people in America, they call themselves Christians. What do they do? They get up, they go to work. They come home, they drink beer. They go to bed, the next day they get up, they go to work. They come home, they drink beer. They get up the next day. It's the same old thing every day, and there's not joy. There's not happiness. There's no zeal. There's nothing to live for. We need to know how much, how much Jesus do I want? I mean, how much am I willing right now to pump in? How much? Is it enough? Is it enough to get out of my comfort zone? I don't know if you all know Royce. We were talking about Royce on Sunday. The guy will make you more uncomfortable than anybody you know. I mean, he, he's not, he doesn't have a comfort zone as far as I know. He'll talk about his days as a drug user, and he'll joke around with you about things, but I'm telling you when the Holy Spirit tells him to say something, in the middle of the church service, that man will just start wandering around the sanctuary until he finds who it is he's supposed to talk to. And I mean... You'll be uncomfortable if you're that person he's talking to at first. He's like, what are you doing here, dude? But are, you, are we willing to? Now, he has a gift. I'm not, I'm not telling everyone about we're supposed to do that. But we need to be willing to do what he tells us to do. I mean, 
Yeah, I'm just not that kind of person. It doesn't matter what kind of person you are. You do what the Spirit tells you to do when He tells you to do it. That has to be what we do. We can't allow that thing which is holy to become profane. And so here it says, this man, he was dull. He was dull of hearing. He, he was having a hard time hearing. And then it says he had a speech impediment. When it says he had this speech impediment, in the Greek it says he was hardly talking. Dumb. He was speaking with great difficulty or he was stammering. In other words, he had the ability to speak, but he only spoke nonsense. He, he could say some things, but he only spoke nonsense. One time when I, we were going on a trip, a church trip to Mobile, Alabama, many, many years ago from here. We're going to this church, going, this tr- going down there. And I had a friend that was from Mississippi, and he said, now the people in the South are hard to understand. He said, they, he said they're, sta- they're talking English, but it's hard to understand some of them because they have such a big Southern drawl, you can't understand them. And so we said, okay. So we go down, we go, we're, we're in Mobile, Alabama. We're looking for this ho- particular hotel. We pulled this gas station and we asked the attendant, Obviously, they had an attendant, so it was a long time ago. We asked the attendant where this hotel was. And the guy started talking. You couldn't understand a word he was saying. I mean, it was just, I don't know, man. We're looking. I looked at Tammy. I thought, you really can't understand him. I mean, you really can't. And then this other guy comes up. He slaps him and says, fool, get out of here. He said, he can't talk. He doesn't have a tongue. Well, he was having difficulty speaking. This guy was having difficulty speaking. He wanted to speak, but he was bound. The reason he didn't know how to speak is because he was deaf. He was dull. And when he became dull, he spoke nonsense. The church has become dull, and it's caused us to speak nonsense. Nonsense. Jesus is the reason for the gospel. Why do we need Jesus? Because we were sinners. And apart from Jesus, we go to hell. The church needs to speak some sense into people. It's not get saved so Jesus will fix your mess. No, it's get saved so you don't go to hell. That's what it's about. So we can be, so we can be His people. I mean, the church has said so many so many nonsensical things over the years that it's almost frightening. Stuff like this. Well, you know, God will give you a car wreck if you don't pay your tithe. You're going to get that money somehow. That is nonsense. You can't find that in the Scripture. Oh, yeah, I know why you got that flu. God was teaching you a lesson. Did you learn your lesson? That is nonsense. I mean, you tell me what day God, invent- what day God created the flu, and then we'll talk about whether He can give it to you. Amen. Oh, you know, God's will. He's wanting to judge you for your wickedness. God doesn't want to judge anyone for their wickedness. That's not His will. That's not what God's about. Man, I mean, so we can't talk nonsense. This man is a puppet of the devil because he's talking, he can't get free from it. So the good news is in this story that we just read, someone besought Jesus. That means they invited him near. Someone we need to care. We need to get people to him. Someone prayed, says they bring him. And so they, they had all those people and Jesus listened. So here, here's, here's what we're going to go to. First thing Jesus does is he takes this guy away from everybody else. Why do you think he would do that? 
Well, to get him away from the doubt that they were going to be speaking. He didn't, he was already, he didn't want, when he got to hear, he didn't want them to hear, want him to hear nonsense right off the bat. So he gets him away. He had to get him, just he and Jesus had to be together. Him and Jesus, there had to be this relationship. He took him aside. We're going to have to have that. Here's, here's what I want to get to. Look at what Jesus does. He gets the guy aside. It's just him and the guy. And what, do you, what does Jesus do? The King James says, he thrust his fingers in his ears. Now, that sounds crazy to me. Does it to you? The word thrust in the, in the King James, the Greek word is ballo. That means to throw with violence or intensity. Jesus gets the guy and he takes his fingers and he crams them in this guy's ears. I mean, you, listen, if you're ministering to somebody who's deaf, you better hear the Holy Spirit before you do that one. Jesus only did what he saw the Father do. He, <laughs> it's pretty gross to stick your fingers in your own ear, actually, but then you put them in somebody else's ears. He crams them in his ears. He threw his fingers into the guy's ears. I mean, what, why would he do that? He threw them. Jesus said in Luke eleven twenty, he said, but if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. So here we got Jesus' finger represents the kingdom. I mean, he with the finger of God is doing that. His finger, he thro he's throwing the kingdom of God in this guy's ears, forcing it in there, making it go in his ears, forcing it in there. We must force the kingdom into our ears, force it. Even, even if we don't understand it, we must force it into our ears. We need to meditate on what the Word says day and night, learning how to think right. Force the kingdom. Force the kingdom into your ears. we got to make it, even if it's uncomfortable. And it is uncomfortable sometimes, right? The headache is still there, but you are confessing, forcing the Word into your ear that says that by His stripes I was healed. Forcing the Word into your ears, no matter what you feel like, no matter what you see in the circumstance, forcing the Word into your ears, because that's what's going to make sense. God is for the body. The body is for the Lord. Forcing it. He is the Lord my healer. That was the old covenant. We have a better covenant built on better promises today. Forcing it into your ears. Even when you're so sick you can't stand up. Forcing it. Forcing it. Saying it out loud. Forcing it into your ears. I mean, we must, we got to choose to not allow religion and the church to contradict the word in our ears or society. We've got to force the word into our ears. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Forcing it into your ear. Forcing it over and over. Knowing what you're supposed to think about. If we're ever going to talk without talking nonsense, we must force the word into our ears and we must become full of what the Bible says. I mean, it doesn't matter how afraid you are. You know, Joyce Meyer talks about doing it afraid. I mean, you may, your knees may be knocking, but that's, that's the symptom of fear. Doesn't mean you are afraid necessarily. Doesn't mean you've given into it. You do it afraid, forcing it into your ears. And then Jesus tops that off with this, this, this form of ministry. It says, He 
spits and touched his tongue. Now think about that. If, if, this, if, if Jesus was a faith healer today, I'm thinking nobody's going. <laughs> Cramming his fingers in their ears and then he spits and touched his tongue. I don't know if that means he spit in the guy's mouth and then touched his tongue or if he spit on his hands and touched his tongue. But either way, we're talking about spit and somebody grabbing somebody's tongue. Jesus has already crammed his fingers. Now, he had his fingers in the guy's ears, and now he's touching his tongue. But this is Jesus' method of taking care of this. I mean, here he is. Now he's crammed the word in the guy's ear, and then he spits, grabs his tongue. Why would Jesus spit in the guy's mouth? Why, why, why? That is sick almost. Well, I think it's because Jesus said, what I want in your mouth is what's in my mouth. I want you. I want you to have in your mouth what's coming out of my mouth. If you'll hear, eventually you'll have in your mouth what he has in his mouth. And that ought to be the language that you speak. Whatever he says. He touched his tongue. The word touch in the Greek means to attach oneself to, oneself to. It means to fasten, to set on fire. Jesus grabs the guy's tongue. He attached himself to the guy's tongue. He put what was in his mouth in that guy's mouth and grabbed his tongue. Basically saying, don't say it yet. Let's get this, let's get this all the way finished. And he grabs his tongue. He said, let's set your mouth on fire with the word. Let's change what you're saying. Change what you've been saying. If we're going to talk without making nonsense, we're going to be full of the word, and Jesus is going to have to get hold of our tongues. If the church is ever going to make an impact in this world again, she's going to have to be full of the word, and the mouths of the church are going to have to be set on fire of the word. And Jesus had to control it. I mean, Jesus understood what to do and what to say. Remember the girl, Jairus' daughter? She was dead, apparently. Doorknob dead. Door, doorknob nailed dead. She's laying there. Everybody knew she wasn't breathing. Nothing was going on. Jesus walks up to the house with Jairus. He goes up there, and they, they, got, they hired the weepers, and the funeral people are already there. And Jesus looked at him and he said, she's not dead. She's only asleep. And those people thought he was absolutely crazy. They laughed him to scorn, the Bible said. Was Jesus lying? No, he was saying what the Father said in spite of every circumstance that defied him. Didn't care what they thought. Took Peter... James and John and the parents and went in the room and he said, little girl, arise. And she got up. Why? Because she wasn't dead. Because he said it. She wasn't dead. And in Numbers chapter 13, the spies, they came back and, and they, 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 they said, oh, the land we went into, oh, it's beautiful. I mean, the, we have some of the grapes and we have some of the fruit. It is, it is, it is, it is filled with milk and honey. It is beautiful land, just like God said, uh, but you can't have any. 
because there are giants there. There are giants. And we can't overcome the giants. What were they doing? They were telling the facts just like they saw them. They were not speaking what God said because God already said, I'm going to send the spies into the land that I am giving you. But they came back and said, we can't have it. You'll never get, this is the only grapes you'll ever get from that land. You can't have it. But Joshua and Caleb said, "Uh, uh, uh-uh, whoa, 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 whoa. They are meat for us. We can take, we must go up and take this land. And the people thought they were going to stone Joshua and Caleb because of what they said. But they were saying what God said. We need to know. We need to know that the facts are different than the truth. The truth is God gave them the land. It didn't matter what the facts said. The fact may be that you don't have any money in the bank, but the truth is God said He'd meet all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The fact may be that you have a headache. The truth is that by His stripes you were healed. We need to learn how to discern between the fact and the truth and stay with the truth until the fact lines up. Because the facts will change every day. Every day. The truth is true forever. And Jesus said, Thy word is truth. See, being sharp will result in us speaking clearly. Why would we need to do that? Because your words carry more weight in your life than you can imagine. What you say determines what happens to you. Your words are powerful. The Bible says in Proverbs 18, A man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth, and with the, in- with the increase of his lips he shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. What you say is more important, really, than what God says. You've got to say what God says. It's important that you do that. I mean, that's what works in us. I mean, what you talk about the most is what you love. James says the tongue is like the rudder of a ship or a bit in a horse's mouth. I mean, he's writing today, he would say, your tongue is like the steering wheel on your car. It's going to determine where you go, what you do. And not what you say to me, what you say to you. What do you say to yourself all day long? Why am I so stupid? Why would you even say that? Oh, my aching back. Why would you say that? Why would a mother say, say don't play in that street, you'll get run over? Why would, you, why, why would people say things like that? The Bible says in James 3, 2, If anyone does not offend in speech, never says the wrong things, he's a fully developed character and a perfect man, able to control his whole body and curb his entire nature. We control ourselves by what we say. James chapter, that same chapter in verse 7 says, For every kind of beast and of birds, every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue no man can tame. That's why we need Jesus to get hold of our tongue. He's the only one that can tame it. I mean, we can tame animals, but we, we, we need to get Jesus to tame, to tame our mouths. And God will always do what you say over and over, because that's what you believe. He'll allow it or He'll do it, whichever it is. If we want God to move in our world, He's going to use somebody's confession of faith. Do you know why all those prophets came in the Old Testament? Because somebody had to say it. Do you know why they prophesied about the birth of Jesus all those centuries before? Because somebody had to say it. It had to be spoken. We need to understand... We've got to get our mind get our, get our mind wrapped in the Word, get it in our ears, 
and let our mouth be controlled by, by, by that word. We're recognizing that Jesus is the apostle and high priest of our confession. So, when I talk about Joshua and Caleb, a minute ago the Bible says that Caleb had another spirit, that he, he did differently. Verse 28 of that chapter in Numbers says, The Lord says to, to Moses, Is saying to them, As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as you have spoken in my ears, so I will do to you. That's why we must get the word in our ears, get the word in our mouth. So Jesus, when he's talking to this, this guy, when he has this blind, this deaf and dumb guy there, it says he sighed. He sighed. The word sighed means he groaned. He prayed audibly. Jesus was praying for the guy. He's the high priest of our confession, the high priest of our agreement. The scripture says he ever lives to make intercession for us. He's our advocate with the Father. Understand, just like Peggy said at the beginning, God is for you, not against you. He's for you being healed. He's for you being free. He's for, he's for this nation, but we've got to learn how to talk. So we respond to his command. I love it. Jesus said, Ephatha. Simply, it means to open thoroughly. It means to expand. We need to expand our faith. Expand what we believe. Expand the things in our hearts. The Bible talks about, about enlarging the place of our tent. We need to look beyond ourselves. Get this thing larger than we are. We can't stay in just our, my little world of getting up, going to work, going home, getting up, going to work. We've got, we've got, we've got to expand. I mean, we've got to be willing to do what's new. What's different? What is the Lord saying today? What do I do now? Because we can't just keep doing the same thing from now on. It doesn't take faith anymore to do that old thing. Take faith to do a new thing. Moving out. Looking for a step to go to the next level, to a bigger step of faith. I mean, when Jesus said, Ephatha to this guy, he provided the ability to do that. The, the power was in his word. And it says the result was straightway he could hear. Straightway, directly, at once, immediately. Jesus spoke to the ears first because the problem was the dullness, not the obvious symptom of speech. When we change what we hear, here we change what we believe and we change what we say. And that changes our destiny. Amen? Amen? Let's pray together. Father, tonight I thank you for miracles. I thank you, Jesus, that you provide the miracle. You provide the way for us. Lord, I ask you tonight for us to choose more of you. More of you. I ask you for me. I want more of you. I want you to invade my life. Lord, I thank you for it. I praise you for it. And then, Lord, I want to force your word into my ears so that my mouth will be in agreement with what you say. Lord, I thank you that we in this room make a difference in the worlds we live in and the world we live in. I give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.